the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, today we remember the resurrection of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the hope that Christianity offers of a future resurrected life because Jesus has conquered death. We, we celebrate because those who place their faith in him can have the hope that they too will be raised to new life one day. A resurrection Sunday is a day of great rejoicing for us as Christians because it is the ground of our hope in eternity. But what does the resurrection mean for us today? Right now, as we deal with rising prices due to inflation, an unaffordable home buying market, adjusting to going back to work in person, schedules filling up, persistence of COVID-19, the devastation of war, just a a general sense of dissatisfaction with the way things are, are going from all perspectives? Does, does the resurrection of Jesus have anything to do with how we live today and how we live tomorrow and how we live this week? Is the resurrection something that we just remember today, Sunday, and then hope in when we die or when Christ returns? Or does it mean something else? This morning, I want you to leave here convinced that the the resurrection of Jesus means something for your life right now. And I want to show you the impact his resurrection should have on your life from the passage that we read in Romans 6. Now, as we approach this chapter, we are jumping into a letter that Paul was writing to a mixed group of Christians in Rome. Though he hadn't met this group, he was intending on visiting them soon. And he wanted their support as he sought to bring the gospel to to Spain. But he was also aware from various reports that these Roman Christians were struggling to stay unified. And so he wrote to them with the desire that they would be united together as Jews and, and Gentiles. And that they would be united together around the common purpose of seeing the gospel proclaimed in the world. And, and the best way Paul knew how to do that was by writing to them about the gospel of Christ in all its depth, in all its glory. And that's what he's done in the first five chapters of Romans. Paul has explained our sin nature. He has explained our, our need to be reconciled to God, and he's explained that that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ, which leads to our justification before God. And at the end of chapter 5, Paul has explained that those who are in Christ are part of a, of a new era. Christians are, are no longer living in the age of Adam. They're, they're no longer captive to their sin. They're no longer destined to, to death and condemned by the law. Rather, in Christ, they are freed from sin. They, they're given eternal life. They're made righteous by grace. And, and it's that grace which Paul exalts in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5. He wrote in verse 20 that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul was magnifying the grace of God. 
he was saying that the grace which comes to us through Jesus can cover all our, our sins. It is, a, it is an abundant grace. And, and that is the message of Christianity. It's a religion of grace. It's where you can find forgiveness from God for all the wrong things that you have done. That, that's why we remember Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday. These events happened and they displayed God's lavish grace. But that leads to a natural question, which Paul raised himself for us in verse 1 of chapter 6. Look there with me. He writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So if God's grace is, is really that great, then isn't it just better for us to sin that we might give God more reason to show us grace? And if so, doesn't that just produce lawlessness? Now, what kind of religion is that? And that's a natural question that people unfamiliar with Christianity might have. God's grace and the good news of the gospel almost force us to ask that question. That, that was a question undoubtedly raised by the Jews in Paul's day because they were used to, to traditions and, and law-keeping. You know, everyone, everyone knows that true religion shouldn't encourage sin. But the grace of Christianity seems to do so. Now, for most of us here, we're probably not tempted to think about God's grace in exactly the same way. I believe most of us are inclined to, to think that, or I don't believe I should say, that most of us are inclined to think that, that our sin will in some way magnify God's grace. But I do think we often wonder, isn't it okay to sin? Do I really have to be that devoted as a Christian? God's grace is enough, isn't it? And there, there's a part of us that, that still wants to sin. But we want to be forgiven as well. And, and, and to that, Paul replies, inconceivable. Right? In verse 2, he, he says, by no means. How, how can we who died to sin still live in it? God, God's grace is not meant to lead us to sin more, but rather as Christians who have experienced God's grace, we have died to sin. Now, what does that mean? What does that phrase, died to sin, mean? It doesn't mean that we're no longer affected by sin. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to sin. It means that when we were saved, we aren't under the, the penalty and the, and the guilt of sin anymore. And it also means that we have died to our old life of sin and we're no longer held in sin's grip. Sin, so, so, so we can't continue to live in sin. And, and to expand upon this thought, Paul offers up Two encouragements in the verses that follow which flow from the death and resurrection of Christ. He does this because he, he doesn't want us as beneficiaries of God's grace to think that it's okay to live in sin. And so Paul provides two encouragements that are meant to help you think rightly about the presence of sin in your life as a Christian. And the first of these encouragements is to consider your union with Christ. When, when you are tempted to sin because God's grace is so great, 
Consider first your union with Christ. Consider your union with Christ. We see this in verses 3 through 11 where Paul emphasizes our union with Jesus as Christians. So I want you just to scan these verses with me for a moment in your Bibles. Look at verse 3. He writes there that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. In verse 4, we were buried with him. In verse 5, we have been united with him. In verse 6, we have been crucified with him. In verse 8, we have died with Christ and will live with him. In verse 11, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is clearly describing our our union with Christ and he wants us to consider it. Specifically in verses 3 and 4, we learn that our union with Christ is displayed in baptism. Consider your union with Christ and, and specifically how your union with him is displayed in baptism. And Paul writes in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God or by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I believe that Paul is speaking about water baptism here. His expectation would have been that the people he was writing to were baptized upon confessing Christ as their Lord. And he's saying that as those who have been baptized, you have been united with Christ. Now, to be clear, Paul isn't saying that union with Christ is achieved. It's not accomplished through baptism. He's simply saying that union... That that water baptism, which is the normal result of having been initiated into the Christian of faith, reflects the spiritual reality of a believer's union with Christ. So baptism itself doesn't achieve or accomplish union with Christ, but it displays or symbolizes our union with Him. The imagery of being immersed in, into the water in our baptism reflects our death with Christ. And the imagery of being submerged reflects our burial with Christ. And and then the imagery of being immersed reflects our resurrection with Christ. Water baptism shows off how closely, closely knit we were to Christ when we became believers. As Christians, we are so intimately united with with Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection, that there's a sense in which we actually died with him and were buried with him and rose with him. I do want to address the language of of burial for a moment. Why does Paul emphasize Jesus' death and burial? You know, it might initially seem a bit redundant or unnecessary to mention both. So what's, what's so significant about being buried with Christ? Well, the picture of burial reflects the permanence of death. Being laid in the ground, deep underneath, and being covered with with dirt, no longer to be seen anymore, adds a sense of finality to death. And so here, Paul emphasizes that we weren't just united with Christ in his death, but we were also buried with him. There's There's a finality to us being removed from the rule of sin and death. That, that old life is done with. We are now transferred to an entirely new life in Christ. 
As one pastor has said, to go back to sin once you have been joined to Christ, it's like digging up a a dead body. That's why Paul says in verse 4 that we are to walk in the newness of life that we share with Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And that just means he was raised through the power of God. As Christians, we too have access to that power of God which gives us new life. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You, Christian, have died with Christ. You've been buried with him. You are raised with him to new life by the power of God. You are united with him, and your union with him is demonstrated in baptism. So let baptism remind you of how you're united with Christ. Union with Christ is displayed in baptism. When Paul goes on in verses 5 through 7 to emphasize that union with Christ also makes you dead to sin. Union with Christ is displayed in baptism, but union with Christ makes you dead to sin. In verse 5 he writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul is continuing his point. We have been united with Christ. Now notice a couple things in this verse. First, our our union with our Lord in death is past tense. We have been united with him in a death like his, so that's done. We died with Christ. Our, Our death is not identical in every way. It is like his, but we participated in it in a real way. We experienced its effects. But then notice that Paul writes, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's future. That's still to come. We experience some of the effects of Christ's resurrection in that we can live in newness of life under him, but our union in resurrection won't be complete until the end. Yet even so, because of Christ's death, we aren't enslaved to sin anymore. Paul writes in verse 6 that our old self, which means our old life, was crucified with Christ. We're not locked into our old life any longer. Now, note that the old self here doesn't mean our old nature. We still experience temptation that comes from our sinful flesh. Our sinful nature is still present, but it's different. Our our old life is done. That old way of living has been rendered ineffective. It doesn't control us anymore. It was crucified with Jesus so that our bodies are no longer ruled by sin. We are are dead to that way of life. And and therefore, Paul can declare in verse 7 that the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Augustine explained this, this whole concept very helpfully through some Latin terms. But, but I need you to listen to me closely here. Okay. Augustine said that before the fall, Adam was posse pecare. Okay. P-O-S-S-E P-E-C-C-A-R-E if you're taking notes. P-O-S-S-E P-A or P-E I should say C-C-A-R-E. Posse pecare. That means that Adam was able to sin. Adam hadn't sinned yet, but he was able. Now, after the fall, Adam became non-posse, non-picare. Non-posse, non-picare. 
That means not able not to sin. When Adam ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, he became enslaved to sin. And we inherited that slavery in him as his descendants. We are all born non posse, non pecare, not able not to sin. But in Christ, we are now posse non pecare, posse non pecare, able not to sin. And one day in glory, we will be non posse pecare, not able to sin. Non passe pecare. We won't fall into sin anymore. So what Paul is indicating here in Romans 6 is that our union with Christ in death is done. We are freed from the enslaving power of sin, but we're not in glory yet. We still may sin. Our sin nature still pops up more than we were like. We're, we're waiting for the day when we'll be non passe pecare and sin will be no more. But in the meantime, we're still passe Able, non, not, pecare, to sin. We're able not to sin. Because we are dead to sin's power through our union with Christ. Union with Christ is displayed in baptism, and it makes you dead to sin. But union with Christ also makes you alive to God. Look with me at verses 8 through 11. Union with Christ makes you alive to God. Paul writes, now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will will never die again. Why? Because he was the son of God. He wasn't simply another Lazarus who rose from the dead for a time to die again. He was raised to glory and to the Father's right hand. And so Paul writes at the end of verse 9, Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus has conquered death like no other. In verse 10, we read, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of mankind. But the life he lives, Paul writes, he lives to God. What does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be living to God? Well, as as our brother Albert reminded us on Friday, Jesus uttered the words, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me on the cross as he took upon himself our sins? He was forsaken by the Father. There was a change in their relationship. But as a result of the resurrection, Jesus has been restored to his Father again. And he he lives unto him. And, And the implication that Paul has been driving at with all of this is summarized in verse 11. Paul writes, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You too, like Jesus, have died to sin and are alive to God. You are reconciled to him and able to live for him. And you must consider this truth. You must give careful thought to your union with Christ as a Christian. Now, I know we don't have much appetite these days in our society to dwell upon substantial truths. Our minds are being trained by by social media to digest information in 60-second clips. We now have to make the distinction between normal articles and long-form articles because we're not used to the longer ones. We we think that a TED Talk or a a 30-minute podcast can give us all the, the pertinent information that we need on a topic. 
We like seminars. We like easy-to-read productivity books. We're, we're accustomed to, to scanning rather than reading conversation threads to find the information we need. But this kind of approach tends, uh, tends to leave us with a shallow understanding of a lot of things instead of a deep understanding of the most important things. Paul is telling us here that we need to spend concentrated time to think about some of the most important things you can think about. Your union with Christ. He wasn't in a rush to give the Romans a bunch of commands to obey. He he needed uh, them to understand who they were first in Christ. It, It is no small thing to think about our union with Jesus. We are so connected to him that we died with him and that we will be united with him in a resurrection like his and that means we are dead to sin's power. This is something that has already happened for the Christian and we are alive to do God's will because we have been reconciled to him. We're not enemies anymore. We, we were his friends. We've been made new. We're new creations in Christ. We, we are alive to the word of God. We're, we're attracted to the people of God. We desire to worship God. We find joy in serving God and sharing about him. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has changed us. And we are now alive to him. Brother, sister in Christ, consider these things. You, you need to think regularly of yourself as, as one delivered from the realm of sin and made alive to live for God. Consider your union with Christ as it's, as it's displayed in baptism, as it makes you dead to sin, and as it makes you alive to God. That's the first encouragement in these verses that we get from Paul to help us think rightly about sin. But there's a second encouragement as well, and it's found in verses 12 through 14. You need to not only consider your union with Christ, but you also need to live out your freedom from sin. Live out your freedom from sin. This begins with a commitment to fighting sin. We must commit to fighting sin. The natural implication of our union with Christ is found in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. As one who is dead to sin's power, don't allow sin to have a hold on you. The reason that Paul has to write this verse is because we're, we're living in that, that, that overlap of the eras. We're under Christ and not under Adam. But we're not in glory. Again, we're passe non pecare. We're able not to sin, but we're still not yet non passe pecare, not able to sin. We're, we're living, as it were, between Egypt and Canaan having been delivered, but having not yet reached the promised land. We, we're, we're, we're still battling through the wilderness of this world, and yet we have the ability to get through it in Christ. So we have to actualize the freedom from sin that Christ has won for us, and we have to do this on a daily basis. You see, our status has changed in Jesus. We are united with him. We, we will certainly be united in, in a resurrection like his. But our awareness of our status still lags behind. I think back to my early 20s when I was working in consulting and traveling a decent amount for work. 
I remember for staying, or I remember staying for weeks at, at the same hotels. And eventually I started to get treated better and better because as I accumulated hotel points, my status changed. And I was new to all that. And so I didn't realize what was going on, but I was soon getting the newspaper for free delivered to my door every morning and given access to special lounges and given free breakfasts and and better rooms. I remember going to Paris for a few weeks for work and getting this beautiful room and all the workers at the, or the staff at the hotel seeming to know my name, calling me Monsieur Chan as I walked through the lobby. You know, maybe it was just because they were friendly or really great staff, or, or maybe it was because I was a platinum guest. You see, my status had changed. And at a point in time, it had increased, but my awareness of it was still lacking. I was still learning what it meant to live the, the platinum life. You know, I was still acting like a, a poor college student instead of the international businessman I had become. <laughs> and that's what we're tempted to do as Christians. Right? Our status has changed in Christ, but, but our awareness is still catching up. We're not living the way that we should be living and Instead of picking at the trash dump of sin, we, we need to be living in the hotel of God's righteousness. Because we are dead to sin. That, that doesn't mean we won't be tempted to sin, but it means that we can fight sin. We, we can fight anxiety. We, we can fight harboring unkind thoughts about others. and We can fight anger and, and materialism and sinful relationships and laziness and apathy and pornography and ungodly desires. We are, we are dead to those things. But we need to wake ourselves up to that reality. We, we need to get aware and remind ourselves on a daily basis that those sins that want to reign over us, they don't need to reign over us. Paul writes in, in verse 13, Do not present your members as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That word members there means members of your body. Don't, don't allow your hands and feet to lead you into sin. Don't allow your mind to dwell on what is unrighteous. Guard your, your ears and, and your eyes from words and images and philosophies that are, that are ungodly and do not edify. Don't, don't allow your natural capacities to be used for sinful purposes. And the word instruments can also be translated weapons. In other words, don't allow yourself to become weaponized for unrighteousness. That's not who you are. Fight against those inclinations. Live out the freedom that you have in Christ because of his death and resurrection and do that first by committing to fighting sin. But also, offer yourself to God. Offer yourself to God. Paul writes in the second half of verse 13, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life And your members to God as instruments or or weapons for righteousness. Because of who you are, because Jesus rose from the dead, you too have been brought from death to life. You're united with him through faith. So present all of yourself, all your members to do what is righteous in God's eyes. Christianity isn't a negative religion. You know, it's true that we are meant to abandon our own ways, but... It's because we have entered into a new kind of life. Someone has said that there is a fountain of sanctification that flows from our union with Christ, but but we need a drink of it. 
we were meant to drink. We're, we're not meant to deprive ourselves, but, but we can't imbibe the, the sugary, high-caloric, alcoholic beverages that the rest of the world drinks. We are meant to drink something better. We're, we're to drink the water that Christ gives that becomes a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We, we are to present our, our members to God to, to fill our minds with his truth, to, to lend our years to others going through difficulty, to look out on this world with eyes of compassion, to praise and point others to God with our lips, to work diligently with our hands and to let our feet lead us to places where we can honor God through our worship and through our testimony. But what if I struggle with this, you ask? What if I find myself more often presenting my members to sin rather than to God? Paul's answer in this passage is, to consider Christ again. You may have forgotten in him and your union with him. You you may have allowed the world to influence you and allowed sin to gain power over you, but that's not you if you are indeed in Christ. Remember who you are. Remember your status. The, The secret of holy living begins with the mind. Don't be deceived. Don't think that you can keep on sinning as one who belongs to Jesus. Look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. In Christ, we don't belong to that old age, the age of the Mosaic law. We we belong to the new age of grace. And that grace offers us forgiveness when we fail. It it is an abundant grace where, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. But true grace also leads to obedience. It causes us to offer ourselves to God as we live out our freedom from sin. Jesus didn't die and rise so that you could remain in your sin. He died and rose so that you would live a new life. Jesus' death and his resurrection matter. It's it's not just that you have been freed from the, the penalty of sin and that you have the hope of eternal life. It's also that you have been freed from, from the power of sin. And you're meant to live a new life now. Christian, you are so united with Christ and his death and resurrection to new life that you must live this way. It's who you are. So today, if you are a follower of Christ, remember that Jesus' death and resurrection matter for you today and tomorrow and this week and on and on. You have died to sin with him, and you are meant to live with him to God. So present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And if you do not know Christ, I welcome you to experience the new life that he offers. Trust that he was the Son of God who who died for your sins, who, who was buried and rose again to new life, both now And in the age to come, you can enter into a new union with Christ so that you too can enjoy the the privilege of being made dead to sin and alive to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage from Romans, which encourages us regarding how we should live because we are united with Christ as believers. 
what a wonderful, what a sublime truth for us to meditate on. Father, help us to realize that that we are attached to Christ in his death and his burial and resurrection. And may that cause us to fight sin, to turn from it, and to live unto you a life of righteousness. Help us to present our members to you. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.